Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to This Miraculous Life, broadcasting and recording live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Oliveri Olumba. And this show is all about tuning in with the miraculousness of life and liberating ourselves from the bullshit that gets in the way of that. So in other words, the goal of this show is to clear away all of the thoughts, worries, concerns, issues, beliefs that inhibit us from experience experiencing life as what I believe it truly is, which is a profound and miraculous gift. Uh, and so there's millions and hundreds of things that are miraculous about life. And frankly, there's also millions and hundreds of bullshit. So we have always plenty to talk about. I have my master's degree in positive psychology, which is the science of human thriving. And I have a life coaching practice here in Washington, D.C. So that is how this show got started. And I have a uh, trusty engineer who is wonderful for weighing in on the show. Her name is Alexia Brown, and she's here in the studio today. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty I'm good. happy about the weather. It's like sublime outside. That, so good. <laughs> that made my morning. I was having a case of the Mondays. I was like, damn it, I just want to stay in my bed for so much longer. But then when I went outside and got on my bike and was like, wow, this feels like better than a massage. I was like, okay, it's okay. <laughs> so that was good. Um, so today, Alexia, I want to talk to you about what I want to talk about today, because this is a theme. I actually have a lot of, a bunch of letters in the queue, but I have guests who I want to help me respond to them, which is why there are for, so for anyone who sent a letter that I haven't responded to yet, that's why they're in the queue because I have to make sure to pick a Monday that works for the guest who's going to help me with that letter. So I have spent, chosen to spend this week and last week talking about topics that I do not have a specific letter about, but that people ask me about and that comes up really, really, really often. And so I was like, okay, well, nobody wrote me a letter about this yet, but I know that we need to talk about it. So last week we talked about how to say no. This week is a different topic that I see coming up in my life coaching sessions and in conversation outside of the life coaching world all of the time. And the topic is this, the topic is anxiety. Um, and the thing that I want to talk about today is a little bit of an alternative approach to thinking about anxiety. So here's what we're going to discuss today. The topic today is why anxiety can be a good sign um, and is not necessarily a bad thing. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily talking about anxiety disorder, right? I'm talking about 
general feelings of anxiety. Uh, I find that people describe their emotion as anxiety rather frequently. Uh, So I want to check in already before we dive into actually what we're going to talk about. Alexia, have you ever dealt with anxiety, nervousness, stress? If and when has that come up for you? Um, A lot very recently. I'm just like in a place where... I'm doing a lot for my future Mm -hmm. while also trying to maintain all of the things I need to juggle for right now. Um, So yeah, definitely. And there's just like a lot of life changes too, especially with my family who I'm away from. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have a lot of anxiety as it relates to that, just like home life and family. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, no, it's very relevant for sure. And Mm -hmm. the word anxiety is something that I would use to describe um, some of my emotions and my stress from day to day. Right. Totally. Thank you for sharing that. So some, yeah, so it sounds like yours is some of thinking about, you feel like you're having to do a lot right now that sort of determines your future. Yeah. 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 And that, that can be anxiety producing. I've felt that for sure. And then family stuff, (laughs) family stuff is, is often anxiety producing. I'm not sure what variety of yours, but I feel like I can relate. (laughs) Um, yeah, thank you for sharing. Uh, it, does that, is that right, Alexia? Yeah, that's accurate. Okay, cool. So here's what I want to talk about. And I said, yeah, why anxiety is not necessarily a bad thing and can even be a good sign. So here's what I find. I am a person who would say, I, I've never been you know, diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. I don't think that I, I, I certainly can't claim to experience extreme anxiety, Um, I don't experience debilitating anxiety, I would say. Uh, but I would say that I struggle with anxiety. You know, um, I often find that I have trouble sleeping at night, you know, not always, but there's been like entire years (laughs) where I have not slept that well. Or, you know, if there's like one little noise, then I wake up and start thinking about things never to sleep again. Uh, I have experienced things like, you know, like a twitch in my eye. Have you ever experienced that? It feels yeah. like you have. Yeah. yeah, I've experienced just like stress to a point where you just you just feel these like tiny autonomic functions in yeah. your body just like going haywire. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've, I've definitely have had that eye twitchy thing for months at a time. Um, and I have experience just like what I would call sort of chronic rumination, just really having a really hard time turning off my brain. Uh, And so those are some examples of symptoms of anxiety that I've experienced. Uh, Just, you know, sometimes just like a discomfort in the body. So those things are rough, right? It's Mm -hmm. not it's not fun. It's not ideal. Oh, I know another one. Another one is that like pit in your stomach uh, as if like something scary or important or bad is about to happen. I've experienced that. I would say there was a, a years or so where I would experience that most mornings when I got up sort of in anticipation of the day. And so here, here's what I want to say about anxiety because this when we experience these things, it's concerning to us and we're like, make it go away. (laughs) And I too have been there. However, 
what I have also learned through the process of navigating my own anxieties as well as helping clients navigate theirs is this. First, yes, it is important to address anxieties, to address rumination. You know, in in psychology, we often talk about how to treat anxiety. Uh, And some people treat it with medicine, which I think is great, um, especially if their anxiety is debilitating, you know, and prevents them from doing the daily activities that they need to do to feel functional and feel okay. Uh, I am all for that. And I think that it's very important and essential for many people. Uh, I... I personally have not gone that route just because I have never, my anxiety has never gotten to the point where I feel totally and completely crippled by it. And if it did, then certainly I would head to the doctor and ask for something. I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, oh man, this is really, really, really getting old and maybe I need to change my schedule or change my lifestyle or something like that. Uh, and those are also sometimes options, sometimes not for people. Uh, But so the point being, I think that treating anxiety is important, whether that be through medication, through cognitive behavioral therapy, through positive psychology, through challenging the negative thought patterns that we have. Often the what we find is that anxiety is associated with rumination and with the cognitive distortions that we've talked about in this show before. So some of the stories that we tell ourselves about the facts, such as, you know, I have this big meeting coming up with a boss or with a client tomorrow, and we're telling ourselves a story that if we make one mistake, we're going to lose the client, our business is going to fall apart, we're never going to be able to sustain ourselves as a business owner or telling ourselves that, you know, if the meeting doesn't go well, our boss is going to fire us. So those are all things that are associated with anxiety. And indeed, even myself, often my anxieties, when I look into the thought patterns that I'm experiencing amidst the anxiety, there is a cognitive distortion there. There is a story about the facts that I'm telling myself. And I do find that it's helpful to call myself out for that and to be able to identify those stories that I'm sort of assigning to the facts that are not necessarily facts themselves and take away some of the power of that thought. So that is another important way of dealing with anxiety, navigating anxiety, potentially diminishing anxiety. You know, people talk about meditation. People talk about mindfulness. Uh, all, all of these things that we can do to help slow our brain down and start to diminish how reactive it is to our environment, but rather have a little bit of a slower pace of reacting and have a little bit, be able to exercise a little bit more control over that reaction. Uh, People even talk about more physical ways of navigating and helping diminish anxiety, such as massage, acupuncture, um, even exercise, you know? And I, so what I'm, what I want to say is I believe in all those things. (laughs) I believe in addressing the anxiety. I believe in treating the anxiety. I believe in doing the things that we can to change the thought patterns that have us stuck 
in a wor- in a loop of worry or concern or worst case scenario, right? I believe in all of that, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> what we're here to talk about today is a different belief that I have. And the belief is this, and I have come to find that this belief is absolutely essential in my own life. And I have seen how important it is for clients to come to this understanding. And that is this, that in addition to all of those things, and in addition to anxiety or chronic stress, not being a sustainable state, but a state that we have to address and care for and treat and try to diminish how much of a hold it has over us and our life. In addition to all of that, I believe and I've come to believe that for many of us, myself included, anxiety in whatever form it may take, whether it's the form of worry, nervousness, pit in the stomach, uh, heightened adrenaline, which which will lead to poor sleep, uh, lack of focus, all of those things. Anxiety is often a symptom of doing something that you really care about. And a symptom of doing something that challenges you to go beyond your current capabilities. And that is a beautiful thing and is something to be proud of. Right? So that is my way of saying what I've come to understand is that when I feel anxious, it's not something to be mad at myself for. It's not something to be critical of myself for. It's not even something to say, Sarah, what is, you know, how do we fix this? How do we get this under control? We can't just go about feeling this way. You know, stop. This is not good for us. It's not working for us. Yeah, I, I, I feel that. I have that inclination. But what I've learned is that what I really need to say to myself when I'm feeling anxious is to stop and to, to notice what I'm doing that matters to me and that challenges me. And before even addressing the anxiety, to take a moment to be proud of myself for doing something, for being willing to do something that is so hard or so scary or so much of a risk that it causes me anxiety, right? Because when I don't do any of those things, I don't feel anxious. I know that that's not the case for everyone, but that is the case for me. And many of the people that I talk to, the anxiety that they're feeling is arising in specific ways. It's arising because they are doing a brand new job that they really care about performing well at. It's arising because they just 
left their job to go out on their own and try to build their own business or their own company. It's arising because they're trying to get pregnant and start a family. It's arising because they're deciding whether or not to get married. It's arising because they are trying to navigate family dynamics that they've dealt with their entire life in a way that's newer and healthier for them and that requires them to set boundaries that they've never set before, right? These are the things that I see triggering people's anxiety. And what do all of those things have in common? To me, the thing that they have in common is that they're all extremely brave and they are all examples of growth and challenging ourselves. So I want to I want to check in with Alexia because this is the direction that I wanted this show to take today because it's something that no one has ever said to me, right? It's something that I had to say to myself and I I I like frankly I wish that somebody would have told me this. And so I want to put it out there And I want to check in with Alexia because she's the only person (laughs) available for me to check in with, but also because she's amazing. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, I'm here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense if you're not considering generalized anxiety. So I want to like make sure people recognize that again, um, is that this is more like situational anxiety that I think is more universal that we all deal with. but. Um, I think that's a brilliant point. I love that this is definitely a positive psych- psychology angle yeah. um, that you may not hear all the time about um, how to see your anxiety in a positive light in the way that your body is definitely preparing you to um, take on something that could be a really great risk um, and to face something that might move mountains and transform things in your life. So yeah, that really spoke to me. That's mm. good. Good. Do you, I really appreciate that, and I appreciate the reminder that that what I'm talking about is not generalized anxiety disorder. And again, like I believe that. Although that being said, I believe this could still apply to someone For who sure. also experiences generalized anxiety disorder. But this is not to say stop doing all the other stuff. Even cognitive behavioral therapy, I think, is very much positive psychology and part of what I integrate with clients. But. Uh, I think that it serves people poorly when the expectation is that if I'm doing it right, the anxiety will go away, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So do do you feel like this applies to you, your experiences of anxiety? Um, I think so. I think that like, so it was really interesting because I think that for the most part of my life, um, in childhood and just like growing up, I never really experienced anxiety. Like if I wanted to do something, I just went and did it. Um, and then there's some like shift, right? I think it's just like totally adulthood and maybe more insecurity in your life. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. so this is definitely helpful for me as I, um, consider what might be worth it and what's not. Um, and also just thinking about like, I don't know if this is something that you're going to get into today, but, mm-hmm. um, I also like to rationalize things that I'm thinking about that give me anxiety. So like, is it more that I just lean into, um, the fact that, there is some outcome on the other end of me making an action and doing this thing that that gives Mm. me an anxiety or do I rest in um, the outcomes and the great things that could come from it? Um, And then I guess that more taps into my core value of faith as well. Right. Um, So yeah, I'm making a lot of connections right now. Can you tell me what you mean when you say you like to rationalize 
the anxiety um is that what you said yeah i think so i think i more just meant like that's how i deal with it is like on a very analytical front so like i like to ask a lot of opinions from Mm. other people about what i should do Mm -hmm. so much that like i think i could sit on something and not make a decision for like way longer (laughs) than what it probably needs to be um and then just kind of like force myself into doing something because i've wasted so much time probably but um that's usually how i deal with my anxiety that's so interesting Mm -hmm. yeah my i would say i'm the opposite if i ask people's opinions that makes my anxiety so much worse Mm. (laughs) and then i'm like oh god this this completely throws off the formula that i had already been working out in my mind and i've learned not to ask people's opinions (laughs) that's fair no you (laughs) self-awareness yeah but it's amazing i mean i think i think uh i've mentioned this before i think my husband is definitely more someone who benefits from hearing other people's opinions and, and external processing so yeah that's that is really interesting I mean when I heard you say rationalize what I how I interpreted that was along the lines of what I'm sharing and what has been powerful with me for me is rationalizing in terms of coming to the realization that my anxiety is like basically giving my body compassion Mm, say more for understanding that i am putting tremendous stress on myself and i'm putting myself in positions that are anxiety producing Mm -hmm. right i'm i'm doing things like starting a business you know working with clients in a really important capacity taking family members into my home uh you know even just navigating friendships and navigating family dynamics even even just trying to frankly i think that being being alive in this world is a beautiful thing it is to me a blessing a profound gift but i also see it as an act of courage you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so when i say giving myself compassion i mean what ra- i take like the words you use rationalizing and saying it is helpful for me to say to my body you know what i don't like that you're anxious but i i understand it you know yeah. it makes sense that given all that you're doing or given this one thing that you're doing that it is creating physical anxiety that it's creating anxiety in the body and not sort of diminishing that not telling myself the story that the anxiety is unacceptable that is something that i i cannot live with that it's a sign that i'm weak that it's a sign that I'm doing it wrong, that I need to fix the anxiety before I can proceed. Uh, Even like you said, I have the very same experience that I never experienced myself as an anxious person when I was a child. And then I would say the, the first time that I truly started to consider that maybe anxiety was the right word for what I was grappling with was absolutely after I started my life coaching practice. Mm -hmm. And 
I have zero regrets. I never, ever, ever, not even once have ever looked back from the decision to work for myself, to build something that I believe in, to you know not apply for uh, an employee position. No shame in that. It's just not what called to me. It's not what I felt that I wanted to create for my life. That being said, taking this path has turned me into a person who struggles with anxiety. That is the reality. And it when I first started to notice that, I was like, what is going on with me? Mm-hmm. Why am I falling apart? Am I doing something wrong? How do I fix this? How do I get rid of this? And then, you know, I would I would take steps to try and address the anxiety, you know, try and take care of myself. And those things would would work, you know, to an extent. It would work to give myself more space to breathe. It would work to understand and think through my cognitive distortions. It would work to meditate, to exercise. And at the same time, the moment that a new and really important situation arose, so an important situation that I felt like, wow, I have never dealt with this exact scenario before, the anxiety would come right back, you know? And I learned to understand that when you choose to do things that are brave, when you choose to do things that are outside your comfort zone, when you choose to do things that challenge you in ways that you want to be capable of, but the truth is you don't know yet. (laughs) You don't know yet if you're capable Those things, for many of us, myself included, are going to produce anxiety. And so it has been really life-changing for me to accept anxiety and worry and stress as part of the package of doing brave things. That has been really life-changing for me. And to extend myself braver, or pardon me, extend myself compassion and to be proud of myself for even being willing to go there, okay? And so that's what I want to say to all of you, to anyone who is, who's dealing with anxiety, period. You know, whether, it, whether it's coming from a specific event or not, I want to say to you that I am proud of you because I believe that that is a result of stepping outside your comfort zone, and of doing something that, whether consciously or not, is an act of bravery for you, right? And that could even be just getting up in the morning and going through your day. So that's, I, I want to tell everyone that because I believe that. And the anxiety that comes up, I don't think it's an indication that you're doing it wrong. I think it's an indication that what you're doing is brave and it's not familiar. It's not something that you've mas- you have complete mastery over, right? And because of that, it also means that you are stretching yourself. You're asking yourself to grow. Again, whether that's launching your own company or just getting up in the morning and going through the day, because sometimes that does require tremendous courage and bravery. 
So I want everyone to know that and to to extend some gentleness, some compassion, some understanding towards the anxiety, towards the adrenaline, towards the worry, towards those little ticks in the body that make us, give us a hint that we're feeling uncomfortable and to say, I'm proud of you for being willing to do something that is uncomfortable for you and being willing to incur the side effects of that, one of which is the feeling of anxiety. So I want to give another specific piece of information that for me really helps explicate this concept that I'm talking about. Something else that I think people often connect with anxiety is the concept of confidence. And people will often, I find, say to themselves, well, I'm feeling anxious, so that must mean I'm not feeling confident. And people are supposed to feel confident, so how do I feel confident? I must be doing this wrong. Please help me to acquire self-confidence. And this is what I talk about with people as it relates to self-confidence. Again, this was mind-blowing for me. Self-confidence is a very specific thing. It is not something we should expect in all situations. In fact, there are actually three separate feelings about self that we often end up just bunching together and calling it self-confidence when actually it's a completely separate phenomenon. The three phenomenon are called self-esteem, self-efficacy, and self-confidence. So self-esteem, self-efficacy, and self-confidence are three different things. And often when we feel nervous, when we feel anxious, when we feel worried, when we have these physical symptoms, whether our hands are shaking or we have a knot in our stomach or we had a hard time sleeping or we have a twitch in our eye, we'll say, oh my gosh, I'm not a confident person. What is going on? How do I fix it ASAP and make all of these symptoms go away? And what I have to say about that is that is not the way that it works. And if you expend your resources trying to fix all of those physical symptoms, then you will end up completely wasting your time and you will be directing energy away from the thing that is causing you to feel nervous in the first place, which is most likely something that is important and meaningful to you, which is why it is causing those symptoms. So let me address the difference between those three things. Self-confidence is very specific, and it's not something that we should actually expect to have all or even most of the time. Self-confidence is a belief and a certainty of our ability to perform well, right? So if I feel confident, that means I feel quite sure that I am going to perform well at this thing. So what do we typically feel sure that we are going to perform well at? Uh, It's not exactly a rhetorical question, so I will answer the question. And the answer is things that we have already done many times in the past. We feel sure that we are going to perform well if we have a, a vast array of examples of past performance. That is the only way to acquire confidence, right? 
in fact, it would actually be psychologically, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Psychologically unsound to feel confident about something that we've never done before and have no experience doing. (laughs) That would be an example of having something problematic going on psychologically, not the other way around. So for instance, if I am starting a business, it is for the first time, I've never done this before, it is unreasonable for me to expect that I will feel confident. In other words, sure that I am capable of performing well and in the desired way. In the same way, if somebody asked me today to do a violin performance, it would be completely unreasonable (laughs) and delusional, in fact, for me to feel confident because I cannot play the violin. I have no evidence of past performance, right? But what would be reasonable for me to expect is that I would have a lack of confidence, yes, but that I would have a great deal of self-efficacy as well as self-esteem. So let's talk about the difference between those two things and self-confidence. Where self-confidence is a certainty in our ability to perform well, self-efficacy is different. Self-efficacy precedes self-confidence. Self-efficacy is a belief in our capability, right? Our capability. In other words, simply a belief in how capable we are of accomplishing things, of learning things, of growing. So in other words, it is possible to have self-efficacy towards something that we don't know how to do yet, right? So for instance, if somebody asked me, uh, eh, can I play basketball, you know, or would I learn to play basketball or do I want to play in a basketball league or something like that? If I said, no, I don't know how to play basketball, (laughs) that would be a lack of self-confidence. Completely understandable, reasonable, realistic, and also just factual. I don't really know how to play basketball. But if I said, somebody said, oh, do you want to play in this basketball league? And I said, no, I suck at sports. I could never learn to play basketball. That would be a lack of self-efficacy. Do you see the difference, Alexia? I hear you. Yeah, I'm pretty familiar with this concept. So I'm following. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Uh, So yeah, so so lack of self-efficacy would be if I believed that I couldn't attain a certain skill set or capability or accomplishment, even if I'm starting from the bottom, right? So lack of self-efficacy is indeed problematic. Efficacy is important because if we don't have any, then we can never grow and improve or try things that we don't know how to do yet. So with the starting a business example, if I lack self-confidence, if somebody asks me, you know, oh, are you sh- are you sure your business is going to succeed? I might say, no, I've never done this before. 
<laughs> that would be a lack of self-confidence. But if they're like, oh, are you sure your business is going to see I might succeed? I might say, well, maybe not on the first try. <laughs> but if anyone is capable of having a successful small business, I don't see why not me. Right. And that would be self-efficacy. So self-efficacy is when we believe that we are capable of doing a thing, even if it requires us to obtain a skill set, to learn things, to experience trial and error in order to get there. Right. And then lastly, self-esteem is different from both of those things. The way that I think about self-esteem is it's pretty much the same as self-worth and it is simply a belief in our innate value as human beings. So we've talked in the past about a problematic form of self-esteem which is called contingent self-esteem. And contingent self-esteem means when we feel like we only have value if we meet certain criteria. And that form of self-esteem is, is unhelpful and is problematic. And if, if it is the cause of our anxiety, then that's something for us to address. Like, right, that's a place where actually we, we would want to be compassionate to ourselves. Yeah, we would want to understand that the thing that is causing us to feel anxiety, maybe we're being brave and doing something that pushes against one of our demons, but we would also want to understand that demon and know that even if we fall short of our goal or even if we don't meet that demon criteria, that doesn't mean we are a worthless human being. So self-esteem is also something that we should always have at baseline, right? Self-esteem and self-efficacy are much more reasonable for us to expect to be sort of constants in our lives. And if we have self-esteem and self-efficacy, what that means is that we constantly feel like I'm not a worthless human being, okay? That's pretty much it. I have value as a human life and I'm capable of doing things. Even if I suck at them currently, probably I suck because I haven't tried hard enough or I haven't practiced enough or this other person has practiced more than me. Having self-efficacy doesn't mean that we are going to acquire every skill or that we are going to become our best at everything. It just means we believe that if we truly applied ourselves at our maximum level, we would be capable of getting there. Okay, so self-esteem and self-efficacy are more necessary and more reasonable to expect. Self-confidence, unreasonable to expect, right? Self-confidence, if you don't feel confident about doing something, that is by no means an indication that you should stop what you're doing and turn back. So Alexia, you said you've studied these concepts. So I'm super curious to hear what they have meant for you in your own life. Yeah, I think that what you said about um, sometimes we use the word confidence when we really should be using efficacy as more of a like fluctuating tool that we can evaluate from day to day is something that I subscribe to for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think that self-efficacy definitely plays into um, something that's important to me, which is growth versus fixed mindset, which I think you've touched on in your show before. I can't quite remember. Good question. Um, I, I don't remember if I touched on it yeah. either. Um, but I'm 
in the process of writing curriculum for a youth leadership program. So that's something that we love as a concept. Um, so that's something that I think about on a day-to-day basis is um, allowing myself the space to be able to prove what my capabilities are. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times the anxiety plays into that of just having to overcome uh, <laughs> some of my doubts and worries and all of that. Um, but I think that self-efficacy definitely means a lot to me. And if people aren't using that in their like daily understandings of their capabilities and overcoming their challenges, um, it's a really great tool. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I love that. Uh, and let me just say for everyone listening, what fixed versus growth mindset mm-hmm. is. So this, that's actually a positive psychology concept that was discovered by researcher Carol Dweck. And what Carol Dweck discovered is that there's essentially two ways of viewing human capabilities. One is that human capabilities and attributes are fixed. In other words, we are sort of endowed with a certain amount of, let's say, intelligence, uh, charisma, uh, popularity, you know, all, all of these things that people consider attributes, uh, even s- skillfulness at athletics, mm-hmm. uh, mathematics, all of those things. Uh, we They're fixed, right? We have a certain amount or we don't. And then therefore, every experience that we have becomes sort of a test to either prove, do we have a lot of this attribute or do we have a little? So under a fixed mindset, if we play a basketball game and we perform f- poorly, that would be evidence that we are not athletic and we do not have the attribute of athleticism And now that has been proven into the world. Or if we perform poorly on a math test, that would be evidence that we suck at math and we do not have the attribute of being good at mathematics. However, growth mindset is different. Growth mindset does not understand human qualities and attributes as fixed and endowed, sort of predetermined but rather views human attributes and qualities as something that we only acquire through our experiences and through practice. And therefore, every experience becomes not an opportunity to prove whether we have an attribute or not, but rather an opportunity to acquire more of it. So by growth mindset, if we were to perform poorly in a basketball game, that would not be evidence that we are not athletic. It would simply be an example of us actually getting the opportunity to become more athletic because now we have realized where our gaps are in athleticism. And then we would say, oh, okay, so just these are all of the things that I need to do in order to develop my attribute of athleticism so that I can become an athletic person, right? Same with the math test. If by growth mindset, if a person does poorly on a math test, that is not evidence that they are bad at math. It's actually giving them the information about how to develop their attribute of being a person who is good at math. Uh, And so the research shows that growth mindset is extremely adaptive. It facilitates better learning. It facilitates better learning outcomes. And it is a way of thinking about the world that we want to encourage not only in ourselves, but in our children and in our education systems. Alexia, can I ask you how you are integrating growth mindset into curriculum? 
Yeah. So like I said, it's a leadership program. So we kind of start the week off um, the way that we've built it. We're doing like internal um, leadership skills and concepts and then moving more towards an uh, effective way that we view the world. So um, moving into the internal, that is part of our self-awareness curriculum. So Mm -hmm. um, not only just getting to know your strengths and your challenges, but um, ending it on the note that you have the capacity to gain more um, strength and to um, take on those challenges and it's a totally neutral thing that we should be working on mm. um, in life in the first place and that some of that uh, requires feedback some of that requires just actual practice and risk taking but right. yeah love it I love mm-hmm. that and I mean I will say that I think that challenging yourself might be less anxiety producing for someone who's already operating under a complete growth mindset. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who's working on shifting from a fix to a growth mindset, which I would, I would put myself in that category. I think I I have a lot of demons. I do have a lot of contingencies. I'm with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think that that fits in with what we're talking about today, that doing things where I'm unsure of what the result is going to be, you know, where there's not, I have a lot of self-efficacy, but I don't have a lot of confidence. I've never done it before. That challenges my fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. That challenges my contingencies of self-worth. And would it be great if I could just make my fixed mindset go away, make my contingencies of self-worth go away? Yeah, that would be great but that's not an option. And so I need to be really proud of myself for being willing to do things that challenge my fixed mindset, that challenge my contingencies of self-worth, that make me feel uncomfortable because I'm unsure of the result, because there's no guarantee. So I think that that is a really nice tie-in. So the, the, here's where I want to close which is the last the last thing I'll share. When I was studying to give a TEDx talk, I read this great article by the person who coaches people at the main TED event every year. And one thing he said stood out to me. What he said is, if you look at all of the most popular TED talks in history, what you will find is that many of the people giving those talks, if you watch it again looking for this, are noticeably nervous. And that does not diminish the power of what they had to say and how impactful people found it one tiny bit. And hearing him talk about that liberated me to direct my resources away from trying not to show anyone that I'm nervous, that I'm anxious, that I do feel fear and worry and anxiety, you know, and rather direct my resources towards what it is that I have to say and what it is that I'm trying to do and accept that if you're doing something that feels scary to you, which for most people giving a TED Talk would be that, it's natural that you are going to feel that physically in your body in the form of something like nervousness or anxiety. And that that is not, that's not something to 
feel ashamed about and it's not even something that diminishes your power. It's just simply a side effect of doing something scary that matters to you. So that being said, my final hope for today is that we can all shift a little bit from valuing the appearance of confidence and saying that we want to be a person who's so confident and that we like and are attracted to people who are confident and rather valuing ourselves and others for being self-efficacious, which means believing in our capability even when we are so nervous that our hands and our knees are shaking and we didn't get any sleep the night before. So take what you will from this. I'm super curious to hear everyone's comments and whether this resonates, uh, whether you've all had experiences of this. And I hope that you understand that nervousness and anxiety is one part of the miraculousness of life and that in order to lean in to growth and what's next for us, we often have to incur those feelings. Have a miraculous day. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.